Greetings. Love Talk Radio. Formulated in Belize, 
all of these things get you know convoluted because whenever these serious discussions um um get you know get on the policy public policy agenda no serious attempt is ever made to really <coughs> excuse me educate and inform the public about the importance and long-term implication of uh the policy of artists to our national interest you know one no one ever told me look in order for us to really get these things we have to really you know um, be thoughtful and 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 comprehensive and holistic in our approach to dealing with them in fact but you know what we usually see is just this reactionary struggling from one crisis to the next so how would these things be possible again and which further furthermore again if we look at it moreover our bureaucrats are not trained to solve public policy problems rather they are trained to answer to the mandates of powerful government ministers now when you say that you say okay well gee i i I'm that, you can't be you can't be that simplistic but anyone who understands and study believes this body politics knows this well that you know that's the thing you know i mean you know the you know these these ministers uh you know for whatever reason um you know get to be you know um in control of the agenda you know and you know um I'm not trying to make it simplistic or trying to make it seem like though I am complaining about something or that I'm trying to um, um, make it where whereby people are saying, okay, you were Pipersburg, you know, you, you know, what, what are you saying about these ministers or whatever? Is that the issue with our, with our, with our, with our jurisprudence? Well, if you look at all these questions that I'm that I'm bringing up, you know, um, for us to um, try to have a better government, a better jurisprudence. We have to really ask ourselves, in the, in, in the public policy or the public policy agenda, what is it that believes people want? Because you know, it, you know, if they, if, if you want to pay lip service to all these things that we're saying, you know, um, I mean, you know, because in a country where elected representatives speak and vote for the constituents with sometimes disastrous results, this approach, this ad hoc stopgap wait and see approach to policy, uh, um implementation and formulation is is you know you know you can really i term it as democracy without the genuine participation of the people so what we have is this undemocratic political culture which for decades have concentrated have concentrated power in the hands of ministers which paradoxically serve at the same time to penetrate and break down the very institutions and their role that is meant to help us out of or to help us out of the condition that we are in terms of providing the you know the services to the people. So as a result, these institutions, such as the courts, um, you know, uh, police department, and other areas of the government, just become mere emissaries who are at the beck and call of corrupt, career-minded, unprincipled lawyer politicians that are in control. So, in short, most otherwise important public policy initiatives that should transcend party politics, and this is this is like an offshoot of this, it always turns into a circus of charges and counter charges. So, as in most cases, when we have these issues come up, 
it effectively squandered the chance for us to raise them above the steel partisan debate and rhetoric. And historically, you can argue all you want, but that has been, that's, if you look at revisionist history as it relates to beliefs, that has been the behavior of our elected leadership with every important public policy issue that has national security implications, national economic security implications. I can go back to 1981, Heads of Agreement. Those of you who can remember that. The Martin Ears Act, the Seventh Amendment and the Dual Citizenship Debate, the Ninth Amendment. These things readily come to my mind. In all of these instances, whoever is in charge of the day, the regime of the day, produced and promoted information that was favorable to their ambitions and programs, and information that favored them or opinions that favored them survived, whereas those that were contrary were systematically rejected. And, you know, so this is something that we really have to, um, um, we, have, we have to contend with. And we have to, you know, really look at it and see how, um, you know, how um, this affects us, you know. And so these are some of the things that me and um, Samia and and Miranda will be, um, will be, you know, discussing, you know, as soon as she logs on um, via Skype. Um, I don't know, you know, look, like I said, the more you question the body politics and beliefs, the more it produces more, more questions rather than answers. Because our, our leaders seem unable to really, really, really engage the people honestly. They much prefer to divide them along party lines, thereby diluting the genuine participation of the polity. Something is clearly wrong with the, with the way our society engages, engages its citizens. For one thing, it has led to too many short-sighted policies. For another, assumptions and deficiencies continue with those serious challenges. And so, again, as a collateral damage to this, many of those individuals who were dedicated to the highest level of public service, for example, the civil servants, they have become cynical because they're stuck in a reality of self-survival. You know, they're scared to speak out. They're scared to stick uh, uh, on our own position because, they, you know, they're, they're just looking at their livelihood. And you can't blame them. That's, that's, that's the reality that they're, they're struggling with. And so, as a result, we have this cynical atmosphere surrounding our governance and jurisprudence. And this is not good because it's a very grave situation when people resign their citizenship because that citizen sinks, sinks further into apathy and animosity. Uh, and become more anonymous. You know, so our leaders, they prefer it this way. They much, they much prefer to have citizens who are, educate, who, are not, you know, who are not educated, but rather have them co-opted into accepting the rationale behind the regime of the day plan for action as it relates to public policy or any issue that, that's on the, on the policy agenda. So citizens more often than not are not given the appearance or rituals of participation. They are denied any real influence over the course of events. So instead of genuine citizen participation, it is usually public relations. Citizens becomes mere functionaries who are constantly fed a diet of carefully selected information to address whatever issue that is. And I'll give you examples in a minute. 
And this is, these questions that, we, that I'm raising strikes at the very heart of our nation state. So again, it brings up more questions and answers. I mean, and it's, for me, the very integrity and credibility of this nation is now seriously being called into question. You know, and um, like I said, me and my guest, Samia, and I see she has logged on. I'll introduce her in a minute. Um, um, you know, we will discuss, these are some of the things that we will be discussing. I mean, can the state, which has this fiduciary responsibility to the polity, protect us? Can we rely on our law enforcement personnel to protect and serve us judiciously? Is the state of Belize really settling on failed state status? I mean, is that where we're heading? Is that where we are? Are we on the abyss, on the precipice of failed state status? Because if we continue to formulate and implement public policy under crisis mode, this doesn't make for thoughtful, rational, and viable policy implementation. You know, we really have to look at that. Because I'll give you an example. With the Ninth Amendment, this was an amendment that was, you know, that, that clearly that this, this was going to pass no matter what feedback they said they got from the public, feedback from the Senate or whatever other, other bodies that are there. To, to you know, to as a countermeasure or to offset what the agenda is in the in the House of Representatives. So, you know, that went through. I mean, the only thing that you know that that didn't survive, you know, was the preventative detention. But if you look at it now, I've you know, I've, trial without jury. I you know, we ha- we having those. So again, you know, we have to really you know ask ourselves, what is it that you know. Um, you know, in all of these instances where you know, um, you know, we have these, these national policy debate that has to do with the integrity of our nation, we, um, you know, we, we we drop the ball. You know, so I guess at the end of the day, what it all boils into is, uh, for in Belize, all public policy simply boils down to what the government chooses to do or not do, with little interference from any, from any, any other any other sector. Now. Um, again, joining me on the line um, via Skype, she's direct from the city, is, is, is Samia Andreen Miranda. And for those of you who don't know, Samia is a dynamic young lady who uh, is the co-host of um, the Crimson Review with Yaya Marin. And um, you know, if you have, if you get a chance to tune into that show in the morning, they kind of review uh, all the you know the the, uh, the latest news for that particular week or or the new cycle and, you know, you know, provide analysis on the new cycle in Belize and the implications of those, of, of, you know, the new or the issues that come up in, in the day. And, um, again, Samia is, 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 is a um, dynamic young lady who, who, you know, who have a unique perspective. And I was excited to have a discourse with her because um, as a young woman, we need more input from our women folks in Belize. We need more input from intelligence focused, broad-minded individuals who are not stuck within that cauldron of red or blue, who can look at national issues as it, relate to, as it relates to our development and say, you know what, it has nothing to do with being red or blue. This is it's what's best for the national interests of the country. That's what's important. And, you know, Samia is one of those young ladies who, who clearly understand this unquestionably, without, you know, without a doubt. So, uh, um, good morning, Samia. How are you? Good morning, Hubert. I'm fine, thanks. And thanks for having me on. 
Thank you very much. I, I know I had you um you know on waiting for a little bit, but you know I just like you know I always like to do a little preamble before I bring on my guests. But um, so Samia, how are you doing today? I'm I'm good. Um, I'm fine. I'm a little bit nervous as usual, but that's okay, I guess. And, yeah, well, and know, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Don't don't be nervous, because I mean you're uh, I mean like you know I, I didn't bring you on on this show to ambush you to uh <laughs> you know to um to 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 it's not a um. I'm not Turkey Mata. I'm not going to uh, cross-examine you. You're not in the, it's not the Inquisition, you know. Okay, it's not the it's not the Inquisition. All right, you just we're just here to discuss um, yeah. you know, public policy, you know, in you know the way we develop policy and beliefs, and you know the you know and the implications. So um, you know, just relax. You know, there's no you know there's no need for you to be nervous. But um, let me ask you this: um, what exactly? What do you think? What I asked the question: what does the belief people want? You are on the ground. And you have a pulse because you you know you cover the news cycle every week on Crimson Under Review and Yaya. In your opinion, what exactly do you think that the Belize people want? I mean, I guess the word that it, it's almost become overused now. The Belizean people want accountability. So more and more people are asking questions. People are asking for more details. But the problem right now, and it's a problem that we can overcome, is that the government is not yet as responsive as we need them to be. So I, I think the Belizean people, they're changing, they're becoming, more people are becoming engaged and more people are asking questions. It's just that now they need their government to adapt to that, to this new breed of, of, of citizenry that we're developing. Mm, okay. Would you, okay, when you say, you know, that's a very, very general term because I also, I always like to put it, you know, in categories in the sense that you have what is mm-hmm. called, the, you know, you know, you have the public public, you have the general public, and then you have what is called the issue public. The issue public will be like you are part of the issue public that you know that you guys study and analyze. They are, which I'm a part of also. And you know, a lot of these blogs are you know we are part of that issue public. But um, I you know I am curious to know that um, whether or not it's the, the general public, the public public, is there is there any sense of apathy, resignation? I mean, do they really really want? More accountability, or is it just the issue public? The people who who analyze and look at public policy every day in Belize, who is it that really is agitating for that for that, that accountability that you just described? What I think, okay, so yes, I would say the issue public, they're the ones that are agitating for it. But the only thing that divides us or divides the issue public from the from the from, from most people is that we realize and we expect answers. We expect that we've gotten to that point that we deserve answers. But there's still a large part of the population that thinks that, you know, things will always be this way. And one way, I've, I mean, I've, I've seen this firsthand, and people tell you, um, you know, we've asked people to sign petitions on different things. For example, we were um, with the VIP asking people to sign the petition, uh, uh, demanding that our government signs on to the international, um, sorry, the UN's anti-corruption campaign, sorry, the anti-corruption convention. And a lot of people would tell you that, you know, we, we'll sign this, but we don't think that they'll do anything. And so for me, the response is that, you know, you have to expect if you don't feel that they'll do anything, if you don't demand that they do anything, then really they won't. So, so I, I, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No go, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, so I mean, that's, that's the only real difference that, yeah, a lot of people still think that, yes, we have no power, but there are a lot of people, you know, there are more people realizing that, yes, we do have the power and, and insisting that, you know, we'd be given that power to demand things from our government. Well, I mean, you know, I, I think, you know, when we say, you know, is there any apparatus or, you know, the way, of, the way our public policy apparatus is structured, is there any things in place where we can, you know, I mean, well, well of course, you, you know, you can agitate and you want to, um, to, uh, 
you know, to, to, to affect the policy and, you know, have some influence on it. But is there any mechanism in place for the genuine participation of the people if they so desire? Yeah, I would say no. The only mechanism that's uh, supposedly in place is the referendum is the referendum act. And we've seen firsthand that the way that it's been set up, it doesn't really function, that when you want it to work, it doesn't work. And for me, I say that, yes, something can be in place. It, it should be, it can be, and it should be a lot simpler than that. And I think that's what we need to move towards. Um, for me, I'd like to see the possibility for us to have rep- uh, a sort of referendum on, on anything, on any issue. But the argument will always be that referendums are expensive and, and, and um, so the government does everything in its power to not have the pe- give the people that opportunity. And for me, I think that what we need to work on is lowering the, the barriers to entry for referendums to happen. And I've, I've, I've said before that one way for us to do that is through social media. Um, I know that the response is not, they're not, not everybody has access to the internet, not everybody is, is connected to Facebook, not every, and that's not really true. And I just double-checked this morning the numbers. There are 98,000 Belizeans registered on Facebook as it is. So that's really, again, that really 98,000? 98,000 98, oh, registered what... this morning. And that's up from 4,000 in October because Nuri Mohammed asked the same question, and I checked at that time it was 94,000 that Facebook was registering in Belize, and now it's up to 98,000 already. So, yeah. So I, for me, I think that that's something that's very doable. It would reduce the cost of us communicating with each other. It would... It would make possible more direct representation rather than this democracy that we're pretending. And so, yeah. So you think that, um, that, you think that social media, and I, I, I kind of agree with you on that, that point, yeah, that social media has, in fact, changed the dynamics as, as it relates to policy because it gives another eye, it gives another, uh, you know, another voice. Well, not, not so much, well, not so much, well, yeah, voice, but it, it, it lends another eye to look into what's happening in Belize because I, I can recall when... Um, Mr. Barra came here, you know, uh, um, last year, and he told us how meeting. He even indicated this. He was like, okay, you know what? I know what I'm saying right now, you know, will be broadcast instantly, instantaneously. So, I mean, they are very aware that, look, that, you know, what you say, you know, you know what comes out of your mouth, you know, you, you, you're going to be held accountable or you, people can come back and quote what you're saying. Um, but let me ask you this. What do you think that needs to be done more in, in, in terms of social media to make it whereby it really, really can affect public policy and beliefs, you know, and the agenda? Uh, it's simple. The way that, one thing that Facebook has done, or, you know, Facebook in particular, of course, there's other social media we could be using, is deepen the level of conversation. So it really gets us away from that just uh, PUP all the way, UDP all the way. We're really having deeper conversation. It's deep dialogue. The only thing that's missing from it is, the, is our elected representatives. So what I would recommend is that we start insisting or we put in the legislation to insist that there are official Facebook or social media accounts so that when these conversations are happening, our leaders are officially a part of the conversation. So that we, anybody, you know, I don't need to be a member of the Senate. I don't need, I'm just a citizen of Belize. I can directly ask you a question and you directly respond to me in a natural and human way, in the way that it's happening right now without them. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I think that, um, um, you know, the thing about it is with, like, with most things, like you said, you know, because I, I know on, on, on these blogs, I see there's some of the house, people in their House of Representatives, and to their credit, who are interacting with, with you know, the public. Yeah. Um, I, I can recall, I saw, um, I know, I saw where um, John Saldiva was reacting with, you know, with, on, a, on his page. I saw also yeah. the, 
the gentleman that is in charge of um, father that's in charge of education. You know, of right. course, you know, of course, the only problem with that, the only issue that I had with that is that the fact that they always give you a skewed position, which is to be expected. They, not, they don't give you a broad base analysis. They always tend to give you a right. position that suits the you party know, line. You know, it's the same thing. It's the same thing that happens if you, when the media interviews them, they can give a broad, like you know, brushed-over response that you know, it, it's not, it doesn't really go to the meat of the matter. But if we structure things in such a way that responses are required, and so, you, you know, the difference with social media and with traditional media, with, you know, traditional media interviewing people, is that with the media, you just have a, there's just a small window of opportunity to ask them questions, they give a brief answer, and then they're out the door. With this, we can go back and, and, and ask the question again. If somebody else is looking on and they didn't quite understand your response, well, they can ask again, what did you mean by this? And that's an ongoing conversation. It's an ongoing dialogue. That's what we need. Because what happens now is that they make one, their one-off responses, and we don't get to question that. We don't, you know, it's not, it's not real communication. It's just, you know, a, a, a plug, you know. They just say one thing, and, and we just have to take that and make our inferences about it. But if we're, if we're dialoguing, if we're truly dialoguing, it's a back and forth, and we get to, you know, get into the meat of each, of each matter. You know, speaking of the media, because, I mean, I brought on Moe's, you know, who, um, Glenn Tillett, these are all veterans. In you know, of, uh, in the media in Belize City, and I, you know, they came on and you know they discussed with us um, the role of the media. But what exactly do you think? I mean, because is the media in Belize are they effective? <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, no, seriously, I mean, you know, <laughs> we're not, as, we're definitely not. You're effective part of the media, so I know that's why you're part of the media, so I know that's why I can't. I don't want to like blindside <laughs> you, but are, is the media effective, effective in Belize? No, I mean, I mean, yes. Okay, we are effective. To, we are effective to some extent, but um, I think that there's still a. I, I still get the sense that you know we call out to leaders a little bit too much. That you know, you know. Okay, let me give this example. Let me not give too much of a specific example because I don't want to step on anybody's toes. But in some cases, I'll hear on the talk shows. Um, I'll hear the discussion about a specific issue. You know, like let's say that they're talking about the prime minister. They're talking about you know whatever they happen to be talking about. And what, the way that they speak, when that leader is not present, it's much more, you know, insightful, it's in-depth, but it's, it's as if when the leaders come to their shows, when the leaders are in front of them, they become starstruck. And, the, you know, the, the depth of their questions really? is not the same as... It, I, I'm, I see that all the time, and I'm constantly disappointed. I'm like, what? What's wrong with you? <laughs> and it's not for everybody. You know, some of the... I will say that without calling any names, because I don't want to... Yeah, but... Some of them, they, you know, the questions remain, you know, insightful. It, it, it's just beautiful interviews. But, you know, too many times when the leaders are there, the leaders are their personalities, they become, you know, starstruck and they, they're, they're starting to really ask in-depth questions or really challenge what the leaders are saying. Well, I mean, you know, um, you know the thing about it is, see, look, I've, I know what you're saying. I've looked at these uh, press conferences and I've looked at um, – you know the way how you know they're they're conducted, and it's almost like you know the uh, the people who are well, well, if it's the you know the political leaders who give these press conferences, like they're dictating to the media, and then they set the agenda. So these people go in there, you know. It seems that I I don't again I don't want like you said I don't want to you know I'm not being I don't want to be specifically saying I saw this or this particular one, but <laughs> they seem to uh, only react. They don't go in there with a set agenda i hope i'm being sure. clear please. you don't go anywhere yeah. to the agenda you know and, and when you 
when you say starstruck, I mean, <laughs> explain that I mean, to I me mean, because I'm trying to. I'm curious to see how they could become starstruck. Well, well, they seem, and it, it can be outside the person. Like I know it's extremely intimidating sometimes talking to these people, but yeah, I do. Well, I think you need to go in the agenda, meaning that you need to go in knowing what what it is that you want to come out knowing, so that when they answer a question and you realize that, well, I still don't know what it is that I came here to know, then you ask again. And so, yeah, you're right, that they go in there, the leaders set the agenda, and they tell you what they want you to know, but you have to also have an idea of what it is that you want to know, and therefore, and actually that extends to what the public wants to know, because you're not the only person thinking these things, and, you know, you're there as the voice of the people to address those questions. And if the questions aren't addressed properly, then you have to go back again and ask them the question again. And I find that a lot of times, you know, when they, and, you know, I've, I've, you know when your leaders answer you in a offhand way and, it's, you know, they're kind of condescending, you know, it can be very intimidating. And, and in a lot of these press conferences, it's so structured that, you know, each media house only has, they're only allowed a certain number of questions or one question per person. And I'm even against, I understand that, you know, you know it's a press conference, so only the press should be there. But yeah, protocol, for me, yeah. I think that if, if I'm a regular person off the street and I have a question, I don't see why I shouldn't be able to go in and address that question and have the press, you know, air it on their media houses at the end of the day. I, you know, I think that we have to develop a mindset that communication needs to be just open. It needs to be open. We have to, have, we have to stop allowing the leaders to, you know, structure the conversation, you know, kind of, yeah, structure the conversation so that there's less of it, really. Well, I mean, you know, I, I think, you know, and I had, um, you know, I had asked, you know, Moe's this, you know, and um, I asked Glenn Tilly too, because, I mean, since these guys were part of the media when they were on with me. And this is a question that I always find interesting in the sense that, as it relates to the media, why is it that, you know, um, that we have such a difficult time with in more investigative reporting you know, where people, where members of the media actually gets in and expose a lot of the, you know, the, you know, the, the, you know, conduct and becoming of uh, some of these officials that should be held accountable. What do you think is stopping, you know, you know, more investigative reporting from occurring? I mean, I think that there are a number of obstacles, and well, the first one is just resources. Um, resources and that, that includes even time because a lot of the, you know with, with media hosts like they're presenting the news for they're you know aiming to present a new story for six o'clock and that doesn't always give you a lot of time to you know go in detail with things go in detail with things a lot of them are short staff um so you know resources that's a problem but the other problem is that i think that our government just isn't as as open as it needs to be so things that are that should be very simple you know information that it should be very simple to access and for me, in my own personal experience, you send emails and emails, and they don't they don't respond. Um, you call in, and it's, you know people are in meetings all the time. You know, and who knows what those meetings are about? Um, so yeah, it's a little bit. Well, a big part of it is resources, and a, and they and a big part is also the fact that you know there's no cooperation from from or you know there's no political will to open up. You know, that most and, kind of said the same thing to me. He said that the resources is a, is one of the huge. Um, Issue as it relates to uh, you know, um, you know more investigative reporting, more in-depth analysis, or more digging, if you will, into the mm-hmm. into the, the, the daily uh, you know the daily workings of the of the government of the day. But I mean, let me ask you this. You know, let's look at let's. I'm gonna give you two examples. You know, we have um, with the Penner thing, and with the uh, 
with you know with and then with the Castro uh with the Castro debacle with the checks and things. Is it a situation where, you know, um that the media just reacts when they you know, as opposed to, to, to be proactive where they just you know, they don't go about, you know, looking and say, Okay, let me you know, okay, they break a story. Right. That's one thing. But I'm saying to really yeah. provide analysis so that the public can you know, can make the decision based on yeah. the analysis that they're giving. What do you think? Yeah, you're definitely right. And actually, that's another thing that I was going to bring up. And it goes back to what I was saying before, that if you don't have a question that you want answered, then you're just, you know, reacting to the information that happens to come out. You know, you have, I mean, I, I think there needs to be more curiosity or, you know, yeah, they need, the media needs to take the initiative or, you know, be more proactive and, and decide, okay, well, this is what I'm investigating. And I, I, and I don't see that happening at all, really. For the most part, there's, just, well, there's very little of that happening. Somebody deciding that, okay, well, this is what, I'm, this is what we're going to look into. You know, it's just, okay, well, this information happened to be dropped in our lap, and, um, you know, so we interview this person or that person, rather than them going out and developing a story or developing, a, you know, researching, researching a, you know, a, a situation. You know, so I think there needs to be more curiosity, I guess, is what, is what that goes on. I guess a little bit more curiosity will go a long way, but what do you think, this, okay, regarding this, this, this government of the day, Mr. Barra's uh, government, do you believe? Because I, I mean, I've seen all over these, um, all over, all over um, social media, where um, many people are su- suggesting or even arguing that they have lost their moral authority, you know, mm-hmm. to be, you know, and, and lose it. You know, now let me give a little preamble because I don't want, I want to be fair, but they have lost their moral authority to govern. And if you lose your moral authority to govern, that means your credibility is seriously suspect. And even though you are governing. You, you 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 know you're you're doing you know you're passing laws or doing things, it's it, you know it's kind of like an, ab, an abstraction of defeat. What do you think? I mean, do you think that they, this this government, based on whether it's real perception or otherwise, have they lost the moral authority to govern? Would you agree with that? Um, I would agree with that. I would say, I mean, just looking at the house meetings, the way that you know both sides have lost the, the government, meaning the, the government in power and the opposition. They, they, none of them have any, you know, they, they don't, it, both sides have lost the moral authority, and and that's clear when you look at the house meetings and you see that when one person says something, that one person raises an issue, then the response is, well, you did this too, and and look at what you did, and so then the issues get lost in the middle because both sides have so much dirt, you know, behind them. So, you know, we, we can't focus on the issues because both of them are just kind of mudslinging at each other and there's enough mud to go around. So. You know, you know, I'm, you know I, I'm glad you pointed it out because, you know, I, I'm, glad for, uh, I'm glad that you, um, you know, that you, you know, that you're saying that to me because I, I thought about it, but you're right. In all, in, in, for all intents and purposes, both of them have lost their moral authority because, you know, I mean, and, I, and I, you know, here's the dilemma that I think that, that, that they have because... Let's say, even though what they're saying is illegitimate, and what yeah. they're saying makes sense, I guess it's not what's been said; it's by whom it's been said. So, coming from exactly. them, does it loses its uh, does it loses its potency because it's coming from the opposition? I mean, does that make it not less credible then if it comes from them? Yes, I mean that's the thing that if the opposition opposes or you know raises something against what the government has said, all the government needs to do is say, well, you guys did, you know, you look at when you were in power, look, look at what you did. And so, um, for me, that tells me that rather than just you two talking to each other, let's open up the conversation so that more people who have no dirt on them, who haven't done nothing wrong to the, company, sorry, to the country, have the opportunity to raise those questions. If you don't want the question raised by so-and-so because he did X, Y, Z, then let the public ask you those questions. You know, open it up to the rest of us. 
So I mean, so when they, so okay, in a, uh, because since your position is so tainted by all the, you know, by I guess you're part of the, you know, this you're people mode, but I guess no, that maybe that's not a good um good analogy. But since your position is tainted by by the issue itself, based on their past deeds or their past uh, conduct. They, you know, who can fill that void? Would it, I mean, who would you like to see fill that void? You know, I don't want just one group of people filling the void. I think what would enhance our democracy is to just, we, we need to just open it up so that everybody can, can be a part of it. So you don't have to join some party or become part of some group. I, I think we just need to open up the conversation so that everybody can be involved in it. You know, I mean, when you say open it up, because, I mean, okay, we're, looking, we're talking about civil society, I mean... Uh, you know, we, what we, we talking about alternative as, third parties? You know, as, well, or what, you know as, as well as that, yes, civil society, all of us, the church, everybody. But I mean, like every the average individual should be able to address questions to our leaders directly. I mean, how would I mean? But you know, our system doesn't lend itself to, uh, you know, to, to that kind mm-hmm. of uh, direct democracy. If and you that's will. The, that's the key. That's the key. We need to change. We need to change the system, and I mean radically. We could be changing it piecemeal, piecemeal, a little bit, little bit here, a little bit there, and then we expect drastically different results, and that won't have happened. We need to radically change the system. We need to increase democracy by increasing participation, increasing direct participation. Mm-hmm. And the tools are already there for us to do it. And most people, as a large percentage of our population, they're already using those tools. What are some of the tools that you, you're referring to? I, again, I'm saying social media. Use, use Facebook. Use, and if it's, and if this, this, what I'm proposing, it's not so far-fetched. A lot of countries do use tools like this, and it, you know, and even if, uh, before social media, even as simple as you send a, an email to a government uh, inbox, and there is a law-required response in X number of days, say 30 days or whatever, and we need to start implementing things like this, so that when any average citizen sends in a question to whichever part of the government, the government is required to respond. And I'm saying do it by social media because all of us need to see those responses because all of us need to be engaged in the conversation of our national development. So we can't just, they can't just ignore you arbitrarily because, you know, they don't like your question or because they claim they're busy. They have to, by exactly. law, respond. Okay, all right. Exactly. Um, you know, which, which, which brings me to a subject which, um, you know, and I'm glad that, I, you know, that you are here because I've heard, again, I, you know, in my in my monitoring of social media, you know, in these blogs and like that, one of the big things that always comes up is they're saying, and I've seen this new push, and I'm sure you have seen it. We're saying we gotta involve more women. We gotta have more women, you know, you know, governance and jurisprudence. And yeah, I agree. But do you think? Okay, and I, this is your perspective because I know that you're involved in, you know, in you know, in the social social political aspect of beliefs. What do you think? Can women really make a difference, or are we just saying that? I think women will make a difference. I think women can make a difference, but I also think that young people will make a difference. I think that old people will make a difference. I think the difference will be in more people being engaged. That's the bottom line. More women, more, more, more kids, more older people, more of the diaspora. Everybody needs to be more engaged. So yes, I'm, I agree with the push for more women to be involved because we can see clearly that you know, it's disproportionate. But I think that the, our general, you know, permit or general premise should be that we need more people engaged. So we need to start setting, putting in place the mechanisms for more people to make it easier for more people to engage in the discussion. You know, I mean, uh, you know, along the same lines, uh, who? Okay, and I again, 
Giving, giving what we discuss. If you're a woman, usually when that conversation comes up, the idea is to get more women into the two main political parties, and you know. But but for me, that still leaves the it, it still leaves it too narrow. That now I have to struggle to become a member of the PUP. I don't want to do that. I, I I shouldn't have to do that. I shouldn't have to become a jump on some bandwagon in in order to just ask a simple and direct question, in order to make proposals, in order to say what I think is best for a country, in order to be heard. So uh, what okay. I think we need to do is level the playing field and make it possible for everybody, more possible, make it easier for everybody to participate. And again, you know, the you, tools are there and people are using those tools. You know, you're right about that because, see, and I, that, I think that's, what, that's one of the things that, you, you know, that I observe also because, see, you know, if we just not argue within a narrow vernacular or a narrow confines of the red or blue, and so if you bring a woman, let's say um, you, have, uh, you bring, you know, an individual, isn't she... Under the same, well, I, well, you already answered exactly. it, but she's under the same vices as the men because either exactly. she's going to throw the party allegiance exactly. or, or she's exactly. be maligned, right? Okay. Right, um, right. Know, so if a right. woman joins, the, maybe 10 women join the UDP and they're the ruling party. They still can't cross the floor, they, they still can't object to anything that the government has decided to do. And also, really, it's a system that needs to be changed. You could put whoever you want in there. You could put a third party in there. You could put women in there. You could put whatever you want in there. But until we change the system, we're going to get the same result. You know, what, what do you think? What, what, is, there, is there any dynamic leader or leadership or group of citizens that – and, I'm, and I, I don't want to put you on the spot to say, okay, but who do you see in, 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 you know, about the politics that, that you say, okay, well, that's the up-and-coming individual that I would love to see, you know, that has the consciousness, that has the, you know, the intellect, you know. Do you, I mean, be honest, do you see anybody like that? I see a lot, I see a lot, I see a lot. And I think okay. about this all the time, you know. I think about, um, you know, the way that people do fantasy baseball, you know, and, and you pick your, 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 whatever, you pick your team. So I think about that all the time. And there are a few people, I mean, <laughs> that come to mind. And... Some of the, well, at least a couple of the ones that I'm going to suggest now might surprise people because, um, well, let me just say, well, Audrey Matura is the first obvious, obvious first pick for me. Um, Mayor Daryl Bradley is another one for me, and, and I'm saying that that might be surprising for some people because I, you know, disagree with some, well, his execution of some of the things that he does. But at the same time, I see him as a visionary. I see him as an intelligent man, and, you know, you know and everybody can improve in some ways. He needs to listen more. But he would definitely be one of my picks. Um, even Stephen Okeke, you know, last mayoral election or last uh, city council election in Belize, I think Belize had a Belize city had some excellent candidates, and you know, I picked a few from there. Um, well, Nigel Petillo is another one. Like, he, I mean, he has heart. You know, he's he's driven. He knows, and he has vision as well. He's hard work. I mean, I should have picked several of the guys from Big A. You know, so, so for me. Things are, you know, things are depressing on, on one hand in Belize, but I do see that there are people, you know, genuine people, people with vision, people with integrity, and um, yeah, and so that makes me hopeful. Of course, okay. the system, again, the system needs to change somewhat so that those people have more of a direct impact or have, mo- you know, have more of a direct impact without having to jump on some, you know, political bandwagon, and, but, you know, it, it gives me hope to see that there are people like that. You know, I, I don't have a problem with your list. That, you know, that list is, you know, um, I had Audrey Matura Shepard on a couple of weeks ago, you know, and she, you know, I mean, as, as far as an individual, not even, forget her gender, as an individual, a very dynamic, yeah. honest, down-to-earth individual who, yeah. you know, who, who was in the belly of the beast, as her words, you know, who have seen, yeah. it, you know, firsthand, you know, being a member of the United Democratic Party, and she, you know, she told us all this, you know, you know some of her experiences. So um, I understand that. Yeah. Go ahead. 
Yeah, I mean, there are a few more. Like, there are, well, Patrick Andrews, who's with the PUP now. There's, well, Lou Mejia, I don't know, there are, there are a lot. But again, my concern is, so, I was talking, Patrick Andrews, um, there's Mr. Uh, there's, okay, uh, is, there's a candidate who's running in, the, in, Cast, in Castro's division. He's a UDP, he's running for the, he's running under the UDP, um, so challenging Castro in the UDP. Um, What's his name? Uh, Mr. Tillett, if I'm not, his, okay. his name is Mr. Tillett. Tillett. Okay, all right. And, you know, so I hear him speaking and I'm like, you know, every now and again you hear these people, I'm like, yeah, you get it, you understand, you, you know, I, I want you. But, but the problem is that if they have to operate within the, their, you know, the construct, the party construct, then, you know, that limits their potential, that limits, you know, what it is that they can do for mm. the country and, and that concerns me. Yeah, it is a general concern. I would also put my good, you know, you, you name some of them that I, you know, who are personal friends. I'm like, like uh, Will Mejia. I also put my good buddy Parker Smith in there, you know. You know. I mean, see, look, yeah. um, which brings me to another question is, uh, you know, I've seen this on s- social media where people are saying, what do you think about the, the Christian element? I mean, does, because you're, you're a Christian or because you say you go to a church or you are devout, does that, does that automatically make you, given the system as you, you just given the parameters of the system that you have so eloquently described, because I say I'm a Christian or I'm a Muslim Jew or whatever, will that make me automatically a good candidate or a good person to lead? What do you think? Not automatically. For me, you need to be, you need to be somebody with vision. So you can, be a, you can be a nice person, but you, you also have to be a person of vision. You know, you have to, well, having a religious base, a spiritual base, that's important. Like, I'm not going to define and say what type of spiritual base, but, you know, whatever it happens to be, as long as there's something, something that's grounding you, you know, that's important. That's a, definite, that's a must. That's not even a plus. It's a must. Uh, yeah, but apart from that, the person has to have vision. Yeah. So you, 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 you know, you, you discuss, uh, you know, you pass over it, but I want to get you to uh, get into a little bit more details about it. The diaspora. Um, what do you think, I mean, Okay, you do realize, I know you've been following this with the Seventh Amendment uh, debate for dual citizenship and the way that was handled, and again, yeah. which again belies the fact that, you know, limited, or limited uh, citizen participation. Um, yeah. What do you think the role of the diaspora should be? The role of the diaspora? Well, you know, like, and again, it goes back to the thing before, that I, I think that more people, whenever we have more people who love beliefs, we give more people who love beliefs the ability to engage with what's happening in order to give them the ability to direct the, the course of our country. That's a good thing. Um, the, apart from that, I think the role of the diaspora needs to be, I, I would hope to see more uh, members of the diaspora engage with, with people-led initiatives. The system that we have now, yes, that needs to be changed, but there needs to be political will to change it. In the meantime, there are social initiatives, initiatives there are people-led initiatives, that are changing this country in a positive way, that, that are operating independently of the, of the powers that be, of the so-called powers that be. And those social initiatives, those people-led initiatives, will be better, will be stronger, with more support. So I think that that's what the diaspora needs to be looking for, looking for initiatives that are doing positive things outside of the politics of the day. Okay, do you believe that, the, you know, I mean, do you believe that there should be any kind of impediment place for the diaspora to have full rights? No. What are the, what are the two six aside that's not the issue. What are not because yeah. as it stands now they don't. What's your stance on the diaspora having full rights in that in, that, in our country? I 100% support it, and and it just goes back to I want more people who care about beliefs to have more ability to engage in what's happening in beliefs. Do you see any any emerging leaders or any individuals in the diaspora? You know, remember we're discussing leaders <laughs> on the ground. 
Who, I mean, yeah. um, if you do, I mean, if you don't, that's okay. But do you well, see I mean, anyone, anyone yeah, in the course, diaspora that, you know, who would you name? Um, if, you know. Well, I'd name you, I'd name um, uh, Me? Derek Estrada. <laughs> He's like, yeah. I'm too modest. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, so I, I mean, yeah, I name, I name yourself and I name Derek Estrada um, for two. Um, and, there, you know, and there are also lots of, there are other people who I wouldn't name just because I think that they're not, they wouldn't want, I think, to be in a position of leadership necessarily, like, you know, traditional, you know, at least the way that we think of leadership traditionally. But I see those people as thought leaders. Um, and yeah, so there are quite a few people in diaspora. And the ironic thing is that, uh, you know, so there's this argument about how much the diaspora should be engaged and should, you know, should they have the equal rights of participation that we have. But the irony is that a lot of members of the diaspora, they're, they're participating more, you know, they're, they're more engaged with what's happening in Belize than people right here in Belize. You know, half, I mean, more than half the people I, I, I speak to, I engage with on, online, they're from the diaspora. You know, I could have a, a deeper level of discussion with them than people right here in Belize. Yeah, yeah you you know I mean I I mean um I think you know I again uh you know um I didn't mean to put you on the spot because we're discussing you know because like I said we're trying to discuss um you know you know leadership and you know how you know we can help our country I, I, you know I think the mem- the diaspora one of the things that I've heard and Mo's touching it Glenn Tillett touching it and I'm going to ask you you know is there is there this you know this this hostility that, that the Belizean people on the ground, where is this hostility coming from against the diaspora? Um, like, you know, I just, I guess it's just, it's just human nature that, um, you know, it's, people always want to see that ourselves, or we always end up seeing ourselves as, you know, we and them, you know, where we see ourselves, we see ourselves as divided, we divide ourselves among so many different lines, when, when you know, the truth is, in most situations, the more you unite, um, you know, the, the more progress there is for everybody, but uh, it's just human nature, you know? You know, I mean, I, you know, I, I because see, look, I mean, besides, um, um, when you say taught leaders, um, you know, what exactly and define that? Because I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I want you to, you know, I might have a perception, but I want to, what, you yeah. know, g- give me a little bit more details on, you know, on taught leaders. You said you need to ask for belief, you know. Yeah, examples of persons are what I mean by thought leaders. Well, what I mean mm-hmm. by thought leaders is, you know, I'm, I'm looking at people who, you know, are raising questions, are, you know, pushing issues. They're, you know, they're. Actually, and a lot of them, and that's to tell you, they're very informed. A lot of them are presenting more details about things. You know, like uh, there's one who goes by the name um, Belize Abroad, who is extremely informed and and you know probably has some database. I mean, you know, very very informed and and uh, you know sharing information that people otherwise would not have access to. Oh, of course, I can't forget um, Renee Nunes. Um, okay, I'm definitely, right. I definitely consider her a leader in the you know. So yeah. Well, I mean, you know. You know, I, I, I've never heard that term before. I mean, well, if I did, I must have, you know, but it's an interesting term term to, uh, you know, to uh, to, <laughs> to address, you know, individual thought leaders. Okay, all right, good. I, I like that, you know. You have just coined the phrase to be all right? <laughs> I heard it here first, okay, all right, from you. Um, you know, interesting way to look at it. Um, you know, um, you, you said the role of young people. Why are they so maligned in Belize? Sorry, say again? What are, the, the role of young people. Why are they so maligned in in in, in the, by the politics of Belize? I, I you know I think that I think they're they're just being underestimated. I think that and the problem is that um, there there aren't enough of the people on the top like meaningfully engaging with them. And I think that they'd actually be surprised at the level of their conversation or the, or the you know the the ability of young people to discuss issues. 
Um, you know, actually, I was eavesdropping on my neighbor. I heard, you know, some young guys in the back, and they were talking. You know, they, they, you know, they were talking. They were talking politics, basically. And the problem, and again, the problem with with with, with that um, is the same problem as I, you know, I described in Facebook that people are having this great depth of discussion, but there's a disconnect that you know the people on top, the, those in 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 a power position, they're not connected to the conversation, and so that's that's the gap that we need to bridge. So okay. it's easy to mistrust people or to malign people when you don't really know them, when you don't really know what they're capable of, when you don't really know what they're thinking. So what we need to do is bridge the gap so that we know what more of our population is thinking and feeling. You know, I mean, you know, I, I see, you know, I mean, I was, you know, I, I thoroughly studied the, uh, the Gale study, you know, which is the Gale report. And oh, you know, he, yeah. he, he says that one of the things that he saw was, um, you know, what, what was his term? Um, consistencies, he called them, like, Garson constituents where, you know, where, you know, again, because people like Finnegan and Mr. Morrow and Mr. Musa, Boots Martinez, Faber and all them, who are in Belize City, they will tell you, oh, they got the pulse of the people because, you know, you know, in these Garson constituents, you know, where, I mean, is that really, that's not what you're describing, correct? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that I, I, I don't think I've seen any. There's nobody in a, in a, like, there's nobody who sits in a house with representatives that I would that seems to me has the pulse of the people. And if they say they have the pulse of the people, then let them define exactly how it is that they monitor that pulse. What is the mechanism that they use to go to their people on a regular basis and hear what it is that they have to say? You know, how, how it, what, and, and I've heard a few of them, oh, when I walk the streets in my constituency, people tell me this. Yeah, every now and again people tell you things, but if you're serious about representing those people, then you have to know what it is that those people are thinking, what those people want, and so there needs to be a structured mechanism for receiving their ideas and their, their their feedback, and none of them have that. So just going to the air representative on Wednesday morning to beg for pay your light bill or to beg to uh, no. get school fees or you know or beg for a, house, a piece of land or a zinc field. Like one lady told me, she you know she wants zinc field house to come in a rainy leak. So that that that's not what you described. That's not a, no, 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 no. That's not no. Okay, all right. I'm just just want to make just want to make sure because I mean you might be some people out there who they have they would have the gall to tell you, girl, yeah. you know, look at all the contact they have. You know, they that's their um, idea of you know citizen participation where you know you go to yeah. the field representative, strip of your dignity and self-respect, hands out and beg for something. You know, what I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I mean it, it, that's the part about it that um you know. That uh, that uh, that I really find depressing. But we're coming up on a break in a minute. But before we go on a break, Samia and I, I want to just tell everybody you're listening to live to Mrs. Samia um, Andrewin Miranda, and she is uh, the co-host of the uh, Crime Sunday Review with Yaya Marin, and um, she's just giving us our take on on Belize body politics, the social, the social political. Uh, aspect of Belize's body politics, and um, so far I'm enjoying it because, uh, again, she is uh, just you know she's a dynamic young lady, and I'm happy, I'm I'm delighted that I have an opportunity to to really talk to her from the perspective of of a, of a person who's down there on the ground, who understands you know the dynamics as it relates to party politics in Belize. Um, before we go on the break, though, let me ask you this: Do you believe that um, you know to, in order to bridge that gap, though? Between the Belizean diaspora and those on the ground like yourself, what do you think could be? What okay, I know you said social media, but what else yeah. can be done? How could we make that uh, that connection? How could we have a reunification of, of those two? And again, I'll go back to one of the things I suggested already that 
members of the diaspora need to look for more people-led, look for people-led initiatives that are happening in Belize. Become a part of those initiatives, and then so you then with that you have, you know, you have you know common points of discussion. You have you know, you have something to relate. You know, you can relate to you know, to more people here on, on on specific things, and I think that will go a long way. And show people that you are engaged. You know, and I, I know a lot of members of the well, obviously we have you know remissions. Um, it's, it's a big part of our you know it supports our it supports our economy in a, in a big way. But I think Besides the more that, you, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, so the, the more participation, the more people see you, the more people realize that you are engaged, the more they're going to be um, open to diaspora participation. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I find some here very interesting is that I try to be very balanced in my analysis and don't look like I am, like, picking a side mm-hmm. or, you know, I mean, I'm very, I'm very cognizant of this because I don't want to appear like, do I have an agenda mm-hmm. or, you know. But yet still, you know, I find that um, whenever you criticize a particular policy, people look at you like, I mean, it, the, the, the level of political maturity is uh, so lacking. Yeah. What do you think yeah. can be? What can you? What do you think can you know have that level of political maturity? How could they? How could we increase that amongst our people? In, that's a difficult question. I mean, the only thing I can say is just that the people who are participating, like even even if people attack you, I think we just have to keep driving that point home, just letting people know that. Keep in, repeating that. Look, I'm not against you, but I need to share my opinion. This is this is our responsibility. It's your, you know, for the people who aren't participating, it's your responsibility to believe, to share your ideas, because we all see things from a different perspective, and all of those perspectives are important. So all we can do is just keep, you know, conditioning people and reminding them that yes, it is everybody's right to do it. And it's going to be a slow, slow process, but um, you know, that's the only way. I mean, I can't think of any way to speed it up other than just, you know, we keep repeating and keep letting people know that, yes, you have to have a voice. It's not, if, if you don't like what I'm saying, then you say something. You know, you, everybody has to have a voice. Everybody has to participate. So I think it's just a matter of repeating that to people until they get it. Yeah. You know, because, because what happens oftentimes, too, is that, you know, they, they beat this amount of astrology. Okay. I've seen people who, you know, if you, I've, you know, I've written certain essays and, you know, and you, you know, you know, you're in the media, you've seen it also. You know, um, people feel more comfortable. To, to just pigeonhole you into a particular yeah. party or into a particular concept, into a particular ideology. And mm. whenever you let them get out of that comfort zone where you force them to think, where you force them to look at it from a, from a, from a more radical point of view or a more interesting point yeah. of view or a more, they, you know, they, they, they attack you personally or they might say, um, you, know, they, they, you know, that seems to be one of the issues. And I, like you said, there's really, there's, you know, that's, that's a personal thing. There's no way you could... You know, mm-hmm. There's no policy you could pass for that. I mean, you know, what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean yeah. you, you can't you can't legislate morality. But uh, we're coming up on the break, <laughs> Samia. I want to thank you so far. Um, we have another. You know, um, I will uh, um, invite you to please hold, and you know, we're gonna um, go on a break, okay? And then, um, we, you know, we will come back. All right? Okay, okay. Uh, so far, you know, song You know, you don't song nervous <laughs> at all. So you know, good job. All right. So we'll be back in a minute. All right.
Um, I, I come out and say that you know this the the, the revising the policy they don't you know they don't like it it, it encourages it will encourage uh, uh, more more uh, uh, more um, you know behavior that is that is not in in, in conduct I mean in line of what the, the, the moral construct of society what is what what's your take on the, 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 this, the gender policy the revising the policy that is. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't. I, well, I, I don't agree with the church. I don't think that it will encourage that. That I don't. I don't think that it will encourage that behavior. And I think that if it, I think the church is well, you know, it's not for me to tell them what they're supposed to do. But I would imagine that if you disagree with somebody's lifestyle, then counsel them to be different. You know, it it, it shouldn't be. It, it really should, just shouldn't be legal. You can't legally mandate how somebody else is to live their life. Mm-hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. I've seen also, you know, like I said on social on social media and social, um, you know, and these blogs where. You know the debate is very heated. The debate is very uh, um, um, to the point where you know people you know use derogatory uh, terms you know to to address individuals who doesn't share the sexual orientation. And um, you know, and um, I've seen the gentleman Caleb Orozco who has <laughs> he comes on these blogs and he uh, you know he bears the brunt of a lot of the criticism you know from a lot of these people. And um, very brave you know, and I and I and I kind of yeah. empathize with them. But um, you know, I guess the larger question I want to ask is. As a society, do you think we'll ever, ever get to the point where we can say, look, you're a Belizean, and you're a Belizean first and your sexual orientation second? Um, you know, and actually, in, their, in the, the defense of the you know, further right, I'd, I'd say that we are at that point that, you know, for the most part, people will kind of, people do allow, you know, um, the LGBT community to basically live their lives, but, um yeah, so I, I will say that we're there. It's just that, um, yeah, we're, I think we're there. At least we're at least there. <laughs> okay, we, we're on the verge. We're on the, we, 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 we're on the, you know, at least at the tip of the iceberg trying to, you know, yeah. okay, all right, I'll, 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 I'll um, you know, I'll yeah. uh, um, get into that. I mean, I'll, I'll agree with your, you know, your analysis on that. Um, you know, and what, you know, we're waiting for a decision from the uh, Belize Supreme Court. Mm. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I, I hate speculating, you know, you know, on reality, you know, because I don't like to get into that kind of quantum speculation about, you know, stuff that has that hasn't occurred. But what do you believe is taking the, the uh, you know, the the, the 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 chief justice so long to come up with a, you know, I mean, <laughs> a long due decision on this on this issue? What do you think is holding it up? What is he? What does he? What is he waiting for? Well, I would suspect. I I would imagine that the decision itself is already made. Probably just delicately wording it might be the delay. <laughs> Okay, Delicately right. wording it so you know to reduce it. You know, I'm sure that whatever the decision is, both sides are going to be offended. So he's probably just thinking, how do I reduce the, the offensiveness to both sides? And the decision is already made. Okay, all right. So it's just a question of how you share it with the public. Then. Is that what you're <laughs> how do you break right. it to us? <laughs> how do you break it to us? Um, you know, I mean, because look, I think that um, you know, and I and I I've had this discussion with some of my friends. You know, who, like I said, who opposed to it, and you know, we. But they're still my friends, and I mean, I, it doesn't matter because you have a diametrically opposed opinion to this to the LGBT issue as it relates to Belize. Because I think living in the United States, you know, the, the United States Constitution um, guarantees the right of all the citizens to, you know, to, you yeah. know, to enjoy freedom and happiness on that level. So, um, and if yeah. Belize considers itself to be a, a, a liberal democracy uh, in that regard, where you know, where the rights of individuals are guaranteed. I don't see how the Chief Justice, and this is just me, I'll be curious to see how the Chief Justice can say that, that, that the, uh, the criminal code law is, in fact, constitutional, that it, that it makes sense to, for the state 
to arbitrarily kick down somebody's door and yeah. arrest them based on their sexual preference. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, if he, he would have to, for me, and I'm yeah, not saying, I, I think uh, some people would argue with you or some people don't want to consider us a liberal democracy. So even, even that in itself is a debate. You know, there are, there are a lot of people who, you know, are hell-bent on us not being seen as, as, as a liberal democracy. Yeah, you're right. I've seen it where somebody, I, you know, one of the things that they're trying to say is that, um, that, that you know, that the, uh, that the supremacy of God in the Constitution means that we're in fact a religious, you know, base and, you know, yeah. that any kind of deviant behavior that doesn't adhere with our social and moral construct should be, you know, condemned and, like, you know, almost to the point where the law, you know, gets involved. But, um, you know, I don't want to belabor the point, and I don't want it, you know, I don't want anybody to be sending me inbox messages or <laughs> writing me, you know, because they do that when <laughs> You know, tell me about you know oh, you were private You know, I, I'm I'm just I'm having a discussion with Samia because I think that this is something that um that is you know it's a legitimate public policy issue and we cannot continue to uh um to you know as they say ostracize ourselves put us you know ourselves yeah. from these issues and think that they're just going to be solved by themselves. We have to yeah. address them. You know, exactly. and it's a very painful part of becoming a, a democracy where you involve yeah. your citizen like you were describing. You know, you we have to address. Oh. Them. Very, 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 very painful issues to a lot of people on both sides of the ball, you know. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I agree with your analysis as it relates to the LGBT community. Um, you know, uh, I don't, I don't want to. Again, I don't want to belabor the point, but let me ask you this: Do you think that, um, that as far as, um, you know, the LGBT, LGBT community is concerned and believes, will they be able to ever, ever? I'm not saying I'm not advocating no kind of liberal agenda like the United States. Yeah. Will they ever be able to say? Will they, will they will they ever be able to say? Well, I'm protected. They're protected not by the law, but will they be ever be able to say? Okay, the law. This is the law in the books, and look, you know, this I can take you to court for violating my rights in that regard. You think we would ever see that day in Belize? Uh, well, not in the foreseeable future. Let's <laughs> say not in the foreseeable future. <laughs> and then, you know, and and maybe that's a good thing. Like, well, I don't know if you're referring to a lot of members of the like members of the church have have you know suggested that if the law were to change, that you know then you would be able to be sued if like let's say you don't want to marry a gay person in your church or if you don't want to hire a you know so you know they 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 were concerned that 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 there's going to be reverse victimization and um, yeah so I, and I don't think that that I didn't think that that was a possibility that 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 um, LGBT community was gonna go around you know suing people for you know what I, I didn't see that happening but the fact that but to say that the law I, I don't think that we're gonna get to a point where I, I don't even think that we're gonna get to a point where that's possible so maybe that's you know that's that's good for both sides mm, okay well I just I, what it is I don't I mean I think that as a you know I would like to see our society where all members of society all yeah. Belizeans will be you know don't have to feel any kind of any kind of uh, prejudice, or as it relates to your sexual orientation, or any kind of prejudice as it relates to what you cho- choose to, who you choose to, you know, to lie with. You know, I mean, I don't think that's right yeah. for you know, you know, any society to be able to yeah. to dictate that, regardless of what your personal issues are, regardless of what your biblical beliefs are, or Quranic beliefs. You know, in a, these kind of societies, it's difficult, I think, to to, to try to um, you know, um, to come down on one set. At the expense mm-hmm. of the other. So anyway, let's leave it at that because I don't want to, you know, I don't want people to start thinking, oh, that's what we all we want to talk about. You know, there's so many other things we need to talk about here. But as it relates to beliefs, um, okay, um, Samia, let me ask you this: as it relates to land in Belize, mm-hmm. and I brought on Big Year 
Nigel Pitts last last week, along with um, brother Leonidas Sanchez from um, Fiji. These are two okay. young Afro Belizean Belizean Afro young men who who see the, who see agriculture and land as an integral part of our mm-hmm. national development. Where would you, in, in, in your in your in your um, estimation, being there on the ground, where we are as a people that, as it relates to land in that country? Um, I'm I'm actually the short answer is is I don't know. I I find that extremely terrifying. Um, there was a I had a map that I came across. Um, I guess it must have been sometime last year, showing the availability of crown land in Belize and since 2004. So we think mm-hmm. of Belize and we, we see all this, you know, expanse of, of land that, that's undeveloped, un, undeveloped. And we think that, okay, well, we take our time because there's going to be land available for me. But really, that's not the case. There's, if in 2004, there's land available that I shudder to think what's available right now. And the reason mm-hmm. I say it, and, and the reason that I say that I don't know, is that I don't even know that the land that is, that is owned already, I, I, would love, I, I hope that at least or somebody in our government knows. How much of that, what percent of that land is owned by Belizeans? Belizeans. What percentage of Belizeans even own any land? Because, you know, so these are, I mean, these are things that we, that, I mean, this needs to become a part of our, our national conversation. This has to be, that, those kinds of facts need to be part of the national consciousness. And it, it, I mean, it goes back to something as simple. How can we still be selling land if we don't know how much land is available? How can you price, how can you know the value of the land if you don't know how much you have? And mm-hmm. so I'm very concerned that we're going to get to a point in Belize where, for the most part, Belizeans are going to be living on foreign land right here in their own country. So they're refugees in their own country. You know, um, exactly. I think my good friend, um, Asad Shuman, you know, I remember a couple, he had said this from back in the 80s um, when he was with Spear. He said that, um, you know, this was his statistic that he placed out there, on, you know, as it relates to land. Less than 7% own more than 95% of all lands in Belize. Exactly. So, and that was, this was in 1980, something he said this, 86, I think he said this, when he mm-hmm. came to Los Angeles one year. And you were saying in 2004, which is you know, three years back, you came across some, some data that, um, you know, some personal data, that, <laughs> that hasn't changed much then, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Here we are, we are in the new millennium, the 21st century. This is 2014, yeah. and you and I are discussing the fact that we still don't know the, to what extent you know, land distribution and to what extent, yeah. who owns what and from where. Is and that what you're saying? Like it's, it's completely like irresponsible of every government that has passed before that like this has not been a conversation that you didn't plan for this. Like it, I, I can't tell you how much that, that irks me. I, I, I think it, it's just irresponsible is putting it nicely. Like it, it, they've completely dropped the ball. And, you know, it's one of the things talking about land and agriculture, the fact that the land can feed you, the fact that we have kids that are, you know, un, that are malnourished, you know, under, undernourished in our country. It, it actually gets on my nerves when we talk about, you know, how well our agricultural sector is doing. And, and then I think about how much of that is, is being made for export. We're feeding people outside of Belize and we're not feeding ourselves. Like, the, the whole thing is just, you know, <laughs> such a mess. You know, I could feel disgust in your, you know, in your almost yeah. uh, disbelief that, 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 you know, here we are in the 21st century, <laughs> at 2014, and they still, this, this, not, this is a national discourse that's still lacking, mm-hmm. that still has not occurred, that's still, in fact, not mm-hmm. even broached, you know, I mean, exactly. you know, that, that, that will occur, because I, I think that one of the things that, um, you know, that, you know, we, one of the things that uh, Begir, um Nigel Pet said last week was that, um, he wants to get past the, fact, the, 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 the you know uh, the the fact that we just want a house on a lot. Yeah. 
you know, let's say in the, in the confine, in the, in the friendly mm-hmm. confines of the the urban setting, and yeah. forget and the rural, you should avoid it at all costs because it's a dark spot which should be avoided at all costs. You know what I mean? And you know, um, I, I think when you look at Belize City, the way that city has been the urban planning and urban and regional planning of that city, is there anything being done to try to encourage people to 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 get, adopt a more rural perspective? Um, no, and actually, so the people-led initiatives, just like like the uh, drive for people to own land, the government should be doing it. But when other people do what they're supposed to be doing, it they are they are pretty much thwarting their efforts. They, they almost seem as if they're against people in doing for themselves. You know, I mean, I I I think that you know, I mean, one of the things in the diaspora, a lot of people who um, you know, I think when I was talking to Audrey Matura, Audrey Matura Shepherd um, um, when she came on my show, we discussed uh. Um, how you know they, they have this very loose and lax, laxadaisical way they go about you know distributing land and also mm-hmm. the fact that anybody if you own property in Belize if you don't have if you only have a lease if you don't have they can just take it away from you arbitrarily and that's well, arbitrarily you know you, you know and that's legal you know you know yeah yeah, yeah, yeah it's it, I mean it's really it's, it's sad and it's crazy if you know, one of the, if, if there were a push, if there were truly a push for people to own, for more people to own land, one of the first things that they would do would make it, be, would make it easier for more people to discover where land is available. Like, it, it's very difficult for the average person to know where property is available. Like, I can't, like, I mean, me, if I have no transportation, I'm, I'm somebody smack dab in the middle of the city, I can't go to the land department and say, okay, I want this piece of, like, how do I know what's available? And in this day and age, everybody should be able to access that information readily, at least online, mm-hmm. if not at the land department. And yeah, you, with given given or uh, you know the, the extent that we have with technology and everything, you would think that that should be something that just automatically is occurring. But you're saying it's not occurring. You know, I mean, I'm not, I don't disbelieve what you're saying, but it's almost I'm I'm my, my, I'm listening to you and you know, I confirm what Bigier told me. Most told me it's like almost like it's it's, it's systematic that yeah. that you know that our land laws that we have on the books encourages this. This misinformation or this convoluted yeah. approach to land acquisition in the, in that country. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you said something that was very interesting. Crong lands. Please explain that to our listeners. What does that mean? Crong lands. Well, basically, it's just land that's still under government that it still belongs to the government. Or but why do they call it crong lands? Though? I mean, the term well, crong. I have an issue with that crong lands business <laughs> there. Yeah, just like the her lawyer, her Majesty's loyal opposition. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's all really. Yeah, we're just we're just occupants here. We're not really. This isn't really our country. <laughs> so really, we. You see, Sophia, you are, you're something else. You gotta you gotta get some <laughs> inbox from people. I mean, I mean, look, um, we are occupants. We are refugees in our own in our own country because you know her 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 loyal Majesty uh, Royal Majesty opposition. You know, Crown Land. These are all concepts <laughs> that 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 strikes at the very heart of the independence of a nation. How could you call yourself an independent nation? When in fact you still have allegiance to a foreign power, I don't. Again, don't send me no inbox or write me about anything, <laughs> because I have no problem with my British friends. I would love to remain friends with them, but I question but the fact subject. that we still have, uh, you know, this, you know, as it relates to land, where these colloquial, colonial land laws that 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 that, that, that as Sami is describing, um, limits our involvement in the development of our country. Mm-hmm. Because we don't really know who owns the land. But let me ask you this. As far as, you know, land acquisition, do you think that Belize City, because you're in Belize City and, you, you know, you, you, the area where you broadcast your show from is in the heart of what we're talking about. 
how are we gonna let, how are we gonna enlighten those people there, you know, in in those neighborhoods to let them realize that there's there's hope for them if they could only see a different perspective as it relates to land. They don't have to stuck in this little mud hole or or you know this little swamp, you know, or they live, you know, they, yeah, you know, like the this. only answer. I mean, I think the only answer to that question is is exactly what Big is doing. That they went out, they found you know big tracts of land, and they tried to get people who otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity to own land. Help them to get access to that opportunity. Help them to own the land. But even that, it's, it's a slow process for two reasons. Because you know, it, it 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 requires changing a mindset or making people realize that 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 something else is possible, and that's not that's not easy. And then it's made even more difficult by the by the non cooperation by the government. So yeah, so I mean, yeah, the the only way is to is to show people, you know, and go out there and and live it and do it and encourage them to come to come and and and, and join you. Mhm, mhm. You know, I saw. Well, um, I was watching your show. Um, you had this young brother on by the name of Dion. I think he's the editor of the rep- uh, Reporter. Yes, yeah. What's his Dion? Um, what's his full name? Dion Elliot. Yeah. yeah, very you know eloquent young brother. And you guys were discussing um, one of the things that I found interesting that you guys were discussing was um, the role of the you know the um, the union as it relates yeah. to changing government. And you said something that was very interesting. I was like, you know, you you felt that the, the I, 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 correct me if I'm wrong because I'm trying to you know paraphrase here that you said that you don't believe that the union should you know no you said that union should be on the cutting edge of driving change, you know, in our country as opposed to just advocating for just a raise or whatever. I mean, yeah. Explain on that for me. <laughs> You know, I, I don't remember. I don't remember the conversation, but I was. But yes, um, I think that the, yes, the, the unions. I mean, your idea, your for everybody, your concept of what should happen to what should be happening. Everybody should have a detailed concept of what they, where they think the country should go. And when people unionize, when unionize, when they become parts of groups, and I'm, a, I'm actually something I advocate for is for more union, more unions to be created for people to group themselves in new ways. So it's not just enough to be a part of one union. Just you know, encourage your friends. To, you know, if you don't you don't like this union, form your own. Because when people group together, when people come together for a common cause, then you become more powerful. So yeah, and then, you know, and, and people have to stop thinking in in narrow ways because if you whatever your issue is, whatever your main concern is, whatever your main issue is, it's not it's never in isolation. Everything that happens in our country is connected. So you have to not just be looking to fix one thing. You should be looking for more, for, you know, more and more to fix our country and advocating for those, grouping with other people who see it the same way and pushing for positive changes. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think that, you know, I mean, I was looking at the, you know, you know, the BNTU, which is the Belize National Teachers Union, and, you know, them going around with the different mm-hmm. rallies in Corozal, Orange Walk, San Ignacio, Sand Creek, you know, um, riling up, you know, uh, uh, you know, the citizenry, you know, towards, um, you know, to presenting their issue, but, uh, let me ask you: Is it just what is wrong with our educational system besides the teacher being underpaid? Um, I think that well, well, the scope of what we prepare our students for is too limited. Um, I think that we know we just we most part have an adopted model, which is the same thing that goes for a model for our government. Actually, we adopted somebody else's model and, and we change it little. Um, but I, I think that our, our education, the scope needs to be broader. So I, I fully support like the IT vets and the you know the vocational training schools and that sort of thing, but more needs to be done. And I, I, you know a lot of the problem with our educational system is again the problem with the, much of the is that there is no 
there's not enough vision. Like it's not based enough on vision. And if, for example, vision for where we want our country to go. So for example, we know that we have oil in Belize, for instance. Um, you know, I want to know like who who's being to what extent are we preparing people for for careers in oil exploration? So and and if we don't do that, then that means that there are always going to be foreign bodies that need to come in and explain to us how to do it. Um, goal extraction extraction. Um, of course, you need to put uh, measures in place to make sure that it's done in an environmental way. But in the meantime, shouldn't we be preparing, you know, students again for careers in, in those fields? And, you know, the, I look at Belize with all the jungle that we have and all the, you know, well, natural resources that we have. There, there's, there's the herbal industry or the alternative med- medicine industry. It's a billion. It, people are earning millions of dollars a year from this. We are, you know, we have all this vast potential in Belize. And what are we doing to prepare ourselves to take advantage of that? You know, when, so when we sell land to foreigners and, and they clear all the, the, the bush, the so-called bush that's there, do we even know what it is that we're, just, you know, that we're getting rid of when, when, when we do that? What, you know, what steps are we taking as a people to prepare ourselves to make use of the resources that we have? Like, it's not based on any, our education system doesn't seem to be based on any national plan. And that's not a dig on the current Minister of Education. It's a dig on our whole country that we've let this, you know, this, this, this doesn't happen overnight. You know, this is something that we, we should have been talking about you know, from the beginning. So, and and it's something that we need to definitely urgently begin talking about. Yeah. Well, you know, just to touch piggyback on that is like, please. What? What? And I totally agree with what, what you're saying because um, people like to think that uh, oh, you're knocking. We're talking about national issues here. We're not exactly. discussing no party or red or blue. We are looking at the development of a country based on on public policy that are that should be that should transcend party allegiance, like the issue of education. That's a very big issue. Um, you know, I, in, in terms of curriculum content, what specifically in curriculum content that you would like to see, you know, uh, you know some of the changes in curriculum content you'd like to see? Um, well, apart from, I mean, there are certain industries that believe that, you know, or that believe lends, or natural resources lend itself, lend themselves to, you know, development in certain areas. So I think I would like to see the curriculum reflect that. And for the most part, you know, it, it doesn't mean um, apart from that, it's not so much the curriculum content, but I, I think that the positive way for us to approach education, is, and you know, this is something that I did, I, I taught briefly at um, Belize High School, and it was fun because um, it's a very, like, tech, well, at least at, at that time, I'm not sure now, but um, it was a very, like, technology-oriented school, and I remember one of the, you know, students, you know, students sometimes don't like, you know, some teachers or whatever, so one of the students were complaining to me about one teacher, and they said, oh, well, um, they think that they know this better than, 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 than this person, and so I told them, look, your, your, your goal should never, to be, never be to learn as much as a teacher. You, you're on the internet. If you want to know more, like you, I mean, the internet is there. It's the it's, it's, it's sum total of human knowledge, basically. So I think mm-hmm. we need to start encouraging our students to be more proactive and knowing that if you want to learn something, you know, you have access to it. So I think using more, yeah, implementing technology more and, you know, implementing a, a sense in students that they don't have to learn, I mean, sorry, that, that they're in control of their own education, that they, you know, they have the ability to learn whatever it is that they want to learn. You know, having students they have to feel more empowered to learn what they, what they, you know, what they're interested in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that, you know, I mean, um, in terms of for a student and, and, or, you know, I was looking at some statistics here, and you probably have access to the same thing, but... Um, in terms of professional teachers in in the classroom, mm-hmm. um, and I was alarmed, but when I saw this, um, it says like around 63 percent of the teachers are not properly trained that are in our classroom educating our kids. Is this this is scary? Don't you think? I mean, 
I don't know what the definition is for professionally trained teachers in Belize, but yeah. I'm saying out here, you wouldn't go to a dentist if you, if you <laughs> a dentist didn't have the um, you know, the national, the, yeah. the, the proper, you know, um, certification and stuff, right? So what yeah. is, what what are they doing for, in, in, to train I mean, teachers? I mean, I will say that they, I mean, teachers, I, I will say that teachers do, they're, they seem to be constantly in, in professional development workshops, and and so I, I will say that there's a push for teachers to become more. Train, but again, I don't, I'm not sure what exactly that definition, what that definition entails. You know. Well, I mean, when I say highly trained, I'm, I'm like yeah. saying if you okay, if you go to if you're a doctor and you you're supposed to, you know you're supposed to be a heart surgeon or you're supposed to be a, um, a you know a, um, you know a practitioner, you should be qualified in your field right. in order for you to be able to practice. So I'm, I and mm-hmm. I don't want to put any on kind of undue undue um, uh, burden on teachers, but I'm saying if you're going to be teaching your kids, you know, I, I am of the belief that you should be highly trained, that you should, yeah. you know, should be properly uh, credentialed, properly qualified to sit in front of the, you know, those kids in the classroom, you know, mm-hmm. so that's just me. I mean, no, I don't know what that looks like in Belize. I don't know how they mm-hmm. go about doing it, how they can have yeah. a highly trained professional teacher in each classroom. So you're on the ground. So I'm asking you a part, you know, you're a part I mean, of the I know that, you know, there's a push. I mean, I think if, if I'm not mistaken, you know, all teachers now are required to have a teaching license. And um, so there are, you know, tertiary level courses that they take in order to get the license. And on an, on an, annual, on, on an annual ongoing basis, um, they're continuously in workshops. So I, I do see that there's a, there's a push in that direction. But also mm-hmm. I'd add... You know, when, especially because, all right, fine, we're, we're in a state where a lot of our teachers aren't at the point where they should be. But going back to the, the you know, taking advantage of technology, where we do have highly trained teachers, I say record their classes, have more students have access to those teachers through technology. So broadcast those teachers' classes so that, you know, if I sit in my class and my teacher isn't great, well, then when I go home or when I go to the library or whatever, I can sit and watch a Another teacher teaches the same thing, and and that's mm. a, that's one way for us to maximize the resources, the human resources that we do have. That's an interesting perspective, to uh, I never thought about that. You know, well, I mean, I know because there's a lot of uh, privacy issues involved with you know in you know in broadcasting kids. You know, you know, I mean, at least in the United States, you know, yeah. to you know to you know to have a camera in, they have to get permission from yeah. parents, and if parents say no, then you know, so it's a, it's a, it's yeah. certain, there's certain legal aspects around it. But it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting um. Uh, concept, you know, a you know, a concept that could be explored further in order to uh, to to promote best practices. I think that's what you're suggesting, correct? Yeah. yeah. All right. Um. Excellent. Um. You know, uh, we are we're touching on so many issues here, and I and I am uh, I want to you know I want the audience to know this is Tamia, um, Miranda from um Andrew and Miranda from Belize City. She's on the Cramps Under Review with Yaya Marin, and she has graciously uh, joined us for the past hour and a half. You know, um. To you know, to you know, to give us popular education on her take on um, public policy in Belize and the way we go about with public policy and how you know the, the, the overall social political aspect of Belize's body politics. Um, one of the issues that I want to talk about, you know, and I, again, don't inbox me about anything about saying that I'm being you know one-sided or whatever, because we're talking about national issues as it relates to the national development of our country. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm, and I, I try to be fair. I don't have no agenda. I'm not trying to, um, you know, promote anyone over anybody. All I want is for good governance and jurisprudence. And and if you have a good idea, I don't care where you come from. I support you. That's the bottom mm-hmm. line. Now, mm-hmm. coming back to coming back to it, on the immigration, um, what kind of questions you 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 have for you know the government as it relates to uh, you know the immigration hustle 
you know, that we see going on in our country. Well, would they, okay, well, with the passport, well, did, with the um, most recent or the biggest one, I should say, um, you know, there's simple questions that the, that the government still hasn't answered yet, you know, like, like, for example, well, how did the passport get to Taiwan? You know, that, that, that's simple enough. Um, one of the things that I asked from the beginning, you know, people aren't, I, I, no, it's more than likely, they're not, you're not, if you're in, engaged in some hustle, you're not doing it for free. Did the FIU look into, were there any changes in, 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 in Minister Penner's, um, you know, financial stats, uh, you know, were, were there any changes in his bank account around the time that this passport was issued? So, they're, like, they're very simple things, very simple, straightforward questions that our government should have answered already, but, um, no, the answers just aren't forthcoming. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, um, I saw where, you know, the, you know, with the Integrity Commission, which is, I, that's a, something that um, I support 100%. You know, yeah. they had a, I think the prime minister came out and said that he had appointed, they had a group of people, that, that names that came forward that were supposed to be in that commission, the Integrity Commission. For those of you who are not aware, um, the Integrity Commission is this body that's supposed to look independently at um, uh, conduct and becoming of public officials. That, you know, that's not, this, this is on, uh, on tapping belief, so it's not something you have to go and reinvent. It's there. But yeah. they had an issue with the, what do you think, okay, I mean, look, no one is a, you know, we're not, we're all like, you know, we all have, we're all guilty of, you know, you know, yeah. something or the other, but who will sit on this body if nobody, I mean, who, who, you know, is, it's, that's, who, a you scary, know? that's a scary notion that, that, you know, that basically as the government is suggesting that there's nobody, I mean, there, there are that few people in this country that have nothing to hide. You know, is that really what they're telling us that, you know, because they're saying that, okay, it's going to be very difficult because you have to just go so much, but. Really, is there nobody in Belize that doesn't have things to hide? So I, I think that's very funny. You have to say funny, although it's not. Well, yeah, it's, 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 than... it's rather amusing. You, you were telling me that there's no one that we, we can't find in our, okay, even in the diaspora out here, okay, Belize is on here. Yeah. You're telling me that there's no Belize that, that, that we can't tap and say, look, Sami, I want you to be on this board. Would you come back and say later on, okay, you know, I don't want a gal, I don't want to do it because, you know. You know what are, and if so, what are you afraid of? What is it that, that's going to be exposed that you don't yeah. want people to know? Yeah. You know, I, I mean, because I, if you if you if you're going to be serving the public, if you're asked to serve the public, I mean, it seems to me that um you should declare assets anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, if you were in that in that sense, but yeah. so how are we going to get a, so how are we going to get around this, Samia? Well, I support the VIP. The VIP made a uh, issued a press release. I guess that must have been this week. Um, and yeah, I fully support that. It's actually it's a question. Well, one of them is a question that I raised already. I, I think it was amusing. And again, it's not really amusing. It's more sad. Um, that the POP and the UDP will appoint people to check out what the POP and the UDP are doing. <laughs> so even like, it, maybe it'll work, but I find that unlikely, or it seems like not the best way to go about things. And I love the VIP press release. They said, you know, they gave a simple list, four items, that they, four recommendations. They said that it should be non-political, the people appointed should be non-politically affiliated, um, that um, every district should be represented, that makes sense, um, that it should be gender balanced, that also makes sense that it should be selected, um, the, the body should be selected by civil, by civil society, I think with uh, guidance by the, the judiciary. You know, all of these things make sense. So again, I, I love that. You know, I really appreciate the VIP that they're not, they're not in government, they're not the opposition, but they realize that, yeah, you do have a responsibility to speak up and give suggestions, give proposals. And I, I love that they do that on a pretty consistent basis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, kudos yeah. to them for that. Yeah, I mean, the Integrity Commission should be a body, I mean, because we have an ombudsman. What exactly... This this ombudsman. I mean, is he? If you if, if you if you're the sitting government, and I say, okay, Samia, you're gonna be the ombudsman. And, yeah. I mean, am I really gonna be? 
it, 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 there's so much conflict of interest there that yeah. I think it would be impossible for you to to remain impartial if you yeah. if, if you get appointed like you said by the government of the day or by the, what, you know whatever party that puts you in because you essentially you you put your people in correct exactly exactly who's looking out for your interest so who <laughs> at the end of the day doesn't have any have any um any inkling to want to present what is right for the country but is what is right for yeah. the party correct yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um. That, you know. Um, and I'm, I'm very sad by this because I thought that, the, you know, the, 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 you know the, which leads me to ask the question, this, you know, is this Prime Minister being disingenuous because he knew this was, what was going to happen then? Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I know that's a loaded question there, but <laughs> I don't want nobody to box you in the right journey thing, so please. No, I mean, I'm just, you know, I'll just, I'll say my, you know, okay, with this, with the results of it, like I, I have to say that the results suggest to me that that um, you know you never expected it. I don't think that you expected it to work. So I would say yes, you, it was a bit disingenuous. You know, and this which leads me, which you know, which which find I find very interesting because if you are, I, go ahead, go ahead. You know, and the fact the fact that it's taken this long, even you know, the fact that it took this long to even appoint anybody, that you know, it, it even left this to language for so long, suggests that there's no real political will to make it happen. You know, I think what happened to Samia and my observation of, you know, and analysis beliefs about the politics is that, you know, let's say we, you know, we're the clients of those politicians. They, they're, they're much happier to say, oh, we're doing this on crime, we're doing this on education, mm-hmm. we're doing this on, on health care, we're doing this on housing, they're doing all these progressive policies. But when it comes to, when it comes to white-collar crime, when it comes to mm-hmm. pointing the light on them, when it comes to flashing that light in their face and under the bed where the dark corners are, mm-hmm. they're very reluctant, they're very... Uh, you know, matter of fact about it. They don't really want to go about, you know, you know, us, you know, lifting up the covers to see what's what's happening there. And I, you know, that's very sad. But I mean, in, in, in this integrity commission, if it ever gets on board, do you think it will be effective, constituted the way it will that, it, that they want it, that it's presently constituted? I mean, I think that the VIP's proposal has a better chance of being effective. So I'd like to see us go more in that direction. Um, and also, as other people have pointed out, I think the VIP did as well. Um, they need to be properly funded. Like they need to have the resources to be able to actually investigate or actually carry out their functions. And of course, the same is true for the ombudsman's uh, office. You know, they, they, the constant complaint is—I don't know if the, if the government is hearing it, if the leaders are hearing it—the constant complaint is that they don't have the resources to do what they need to do. They're not funded properly. They're not properly funded. body. Okay, all right. Yeah. I mean, you would think that any statutory body should be. Uh, well-funded, you know, because that's a legitimate use of taxpayers' funds. I have no problem exactly. with having taxpayers' funds using that in such a manner to, to, to promote the interest of the policy, promote the interest of the, you know, of the national development of the country. I mean, I, it's, a, it's appalling that, you know, that, we, that we're suggesting here that, that they're not funded properly when this mm-hmm. is supposed to be something in the national interest of the country, you know. It, important. It, 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 yeah. It's mind-boggling. But, you know, mm-hmm. let me ask you, in terms of, uh, you know, again, I want to focus on this integrity of the commission. Do you think that such a this integrity commission are they going to have a what what are their powers? Can they they just going to investigate and pass it on to who to the DPP to the to the police department? What are their mandates? They're, well, they're, well, first of all, their mandate is to receive the information. But I, you know, actually, I don't. I'm not sure what what's the process for if you know if they find something untoward, if they find that there's something wrong, like how do they actually go about it? You know. You know, cause are they going to have subpoena powers? Are they going to be able to, you know, you know, ask for files? Are they, I mean, yeah. with a private citizen, be able to write them and say, here, look, I have this that I want you to look into? Or, I mean, how, how would they know to, to go about looking for conduct on becoming or for, 
corrupt practices, if they're just going to sit in a room and say, okay, I mean, who, do they have an investigative wing? And these are things that has to be addressed, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, it's okay to, just, uh, you know, to have a bunch of people and to appoint them on a, on a board, but then mm. what are their statutory powers? Oh, How are they going to go about doing it, you know? I have mm. that, that to me... That still needs to, that, that's a discourse that I still want to see, and I want to see how we go about doing it. But, um, you know, we, we, you know we, 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 we're winding down here. We have like maybe like uh, 15 more minutes. So I, I want to take this time to, to, dis, to discuss with you um, the governance of Belize in the Constitution. I've had a lot of, I have a lot of conversations with people um, about the Constitution because you keep on saying the system has to change. And I have heard people very distinguished, educated, highly educated, and says, no, it's not the system for me, it's the people, and you know, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, even my good friend oh. Stephen Wakiki would tell you this. In, you know, I mean, yeah. What's your take on that? You know, well, my answer to them is that if it's not the system, if the system doesn't need to change, if you understand that the system works, then how come we haven't been able to get it to work? You know, the system, the system that we're practicing, it leaves too much in the hands of the people, it leaves too much in the hands of the people in power, it leaves not enough to, to the rest of us. So if, if you know, if, 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 it, if, it, if it is written in such a way that it would work for us, why hasn't it in all these years? That's just my question. Well, it's an interesting question because um, would you suggest then that uh, it has been triumphant over us then? I, I, yeah, I mean, well, I, you know, I, think, I think it failed us. I think it was, well, it's not I think, it's, it's a fact. It was, it was made, it was constructed for a different set of people in a different time. It's, it's completely antiquated, archaic. It, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work for us. And, and anybody who says, I mean, it, I, I, it's very difficult for me to understand how you people can argue that the system is fine if in all these years we just haven't gotten it to work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and, and you know, the Constitution itself, uh, you, know, I, and I've, you know, I've described it as a very insidious, cleverly written document to favor, mm-hmm. you know, the colonial power. And, okay, fine, that, that was then. But now that we are supposedly an independent nation, why is it that we having such a – and we have people, and I, we have individuals, Samir, who goes to UWI, highly trained, mm-hmm. bright Belizeans, who come back from these studies, you know, in law, you know, because you know, you know, mostly it's lawyers who, you know, who get involved with it. Yeah. And these people come back from, you know, from these, you know, from where UWI, Mona Campus, wherever it is they get their law degree, and they just come back and plug into this, 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 this yeah. constitution – it, without even, what is, what, I, I'm, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm starting to struggle like you know, because it's like, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's incredible. Like, what is going on there? Yeah. yeah. You know, these are <laughs> highly educated individuals. You would think they would come back and say, you know what, let me, let's examine this constitution. Let's examine yeah. this system that yeah, because we have. There are a lot of things, now, even for me, for me at least, there are a lot of things in the constitution that are just, just plain crazy. And, and one of the um, examples, well, for me, one example is back there. So there have been a, a few instances where people supposedly escaped from the police and then they ended up dead. You know, people who haven't been convicted of any crimes, they're essentially innocent people and you end up dead. And that's constitutionally okay. So when people defend the constitution, I like, you know, apart from like, you know, the, the, the obvious fact that like things aren't working, like there, there are things in the constitution that are for me that are like glaringly wrong, like how, like how is that okay? So for me, I, I like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is, it leaves you with, a, with your mouth open because I mean, the constitution is supposed to be the supreme law of the land. It's supposed yeah. to be, every, it, it, everything rides on it, every, all bucks stop <laughs> there. And yet and still, there are certain laws that, you know, there's that, again, with the corruption thing, they're saying that, well, we can't, 
And this was Arjuna. Two pointed this out to me when she came on, and I found it appalling that you can't, pro, you, you know, going back to you know corruption in public life. You know, you can't um, go after anybody because there's no there's no um, statutory laws there for you to. I mean, it's, the whole thing was I was like, no, I, I, no, you're not saying this to me that you know. I, I mean, <laughs> uh, real, come right? on now, you know. I mean, if you are a highly educated person, nothing, okay, and I, I don't want to sound elitist, but if you are an educated individual, you read primary school. Mm-hmm. That to me doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. What is it you're saying that there's no laws to to to, pro, to persecute people who um to, to prosecute people who clearly have broken ethical laws, but you don't have any because there's none of the books. There's no, no, mm-hmm. You know, I, I find that interesting. But the part of the Constitution, what I say is, what, what, what do you think can be done as far as the Constitution is concerned to promote a better governance and jurisprudence? What would you like to see? Hmm. To promote better governance? Yeah, as it, uh, but directly related to the Constitution. How would you like to see the, the structural reforms of this Constitution? What, 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 what would be your, your you know, your... Your um, vision for that? Well, I mean, the, well, the, I guess there's okay, there's a lot that I'd like to change. But one of the, you know, I, I suggested before that like I'd like to see like pretty radical changes. But you know, to begin with, you know, things like the issue of whether or not um, members of the government side or whatever, if, if you can disagree with your party, if you can cross the floor, you know, if you can. And for me, that's one obvious thing that needs to change because if people, if, if they're in, the, if it's the host of representatives, if they're representing people. They should be able to be free to do that freely. So that's that's one place that I would start. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in the, you know, I you know, I I, I said to from, you know again, I, and I've I've written essays on this, you know, and you know, mm-hmm. um, that I for me the Constitution is front and center of everything that that um that that is wrong with the country because that's the supreme law of the land. It's the driving force of you know your your, your jurisprudence. So if you if you if you have a convoluted um, uh, constitution that that that's that's ambiguous in many yeah. instances. Then how can you build a country on a faulty foundation? Correct. So yeah. I have called for constitutional conference or constitutional convention where we unite all beliefs in diaspora and in beliefs, mm-hmm. and we'll just come together and say how we can write a document that that's going to correct a lot of the um, the things that you were discussing and, and make yeah. it so it you know it's for and and most important. Include the genuine participation of all the citizens. You know, I've, I've, you know, it's the case talking about radical changes. Um, you know, one of my, you know, one of, well, at least okay. If the if the document is so, if the document is supposed to be governing all of us, I think that all of us, everybody, should be able to understand it. There's so many, like I think a lot of people would be surprised, like they're they're very, you know, the surprising things within the constitution. But it's, but like you said, it's it's written, in, it's so convoluted, it's so you know complicated. I think it needs to be simplified. So that you know, it makes common sense because I think a lot of things in there now don't make common sense, but it's so convoluted that people miss that. If it's a document that governs all of us, it should be. And you shouldn't need a lawyer to explain to you, you know, how your country, you know, how your country is run. Things need things need to become simplified. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things you know, what I find most insidious though, and I, and I, I think I had discussed this with um, with um, Bigia last week was the mm-hmm. fact that um, the land laws. <laughs> Okay, so let's say you own your land, and the government this, again. This is direct. This is a direct uh, legacy of the colonial uh, influence. So your land, Samir, if you if you go down there and you take one shovel and you dig and you find oil or you find yeah. gold, guess what? It doesn't belong to you. I mean, you get and you get no proceeds from it. Yeah. So immediately they could, you know, I guess come and take you off it, and then you know whoever interest come in and exploit that. But you, the person who actually have title for that land, 
have no. I mean, come on now. This is in the constitution. But still we, yet still we have others who are telling us, and this is highly educated people are telling us that this constitution is, is you know, is is good, good to go like that, and don't worry about it because mm-hmm. the people. I know you can't legislate morality, but let me ask you. As far as our constitution, are they teaching it in the schools? Are they being educated um, on it? Well, I mean, as far as I know, no, no. So no education. In, on any territorial level, um, on the constitution of the you know maybe so, maybe in UB presently, but I really haven't heard of any courses like that. So I'm so even so even if we, go, I'm, we never have to wait till we get to UB. I'm talking about like from primary school, standard right, no, infant no, one, no, no. infant two, whatever. Nothing. No. Mm-hmm. So I mean, what about any kind of civic pride, you know, as it relates to 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 to, to our national development? Is that is that you know curriculum? I I know that there are books printed on it, like Kabbalah, Kabbalah, Kabbalah printing. They have they have a series of books for primary school age students, um, teaching civic participation. But I don't know that it's adopted by any of the schools. So the books mm-hmm. exist, the resources exist, but I don't know if they've been used. You know, I mean, I, I, you know, it's 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 it's, it's uh, people who are listening. Please, you know, I mean, we are discussing these things, and I know some of you are saying, "Gee, you know, all we're trying to do is involve in the popular education of all, you know." Of the public, because I'm not here. You know, we're not here trying to mm-hmm. mush anybody con or saying anything mm-hmm. about anybody. You know, Samia is simply giving her opinion on on what she believes. You know, is wrong with our country in terms of the governance and jurisprudence. But let's come back. Let's get back to this constitution. You know, in terms of these highly educated attorneys, um, why is it that such? Why is law in Belize? I, I was watching something from the Supreme Court when they had the opening, and I saw all these bright, mm-hmm. intelligent, good-looking men and women. Walking into St. John's Church, lawyers, and mm-hmm. I'm asking myself. I says, um, these people. Do you believe that they're part of the problem as opposed to the solution? I'm seriously. Given the, the constraint of the Constitution, they're not. They're definitely not a part of the solution as much as they should be. You know, they should be. They should be at the forefront of a lot of these things. And a good example is the. The situation with the gun laws that all a lot of them are saying, you know, coming out now and saying that it's unconstitutional, and, and talking about specific examples of the way that they've seen it played played out. Innocent people end up going to jail. You should have been having this conversation a long time ago. Like, you know, you you what's happening, and you and you just what you sit back and and I like I I can't accept that. Like, I find that yeah, I find that unacceptable. Yeah, they uh, they probably call it the, the worthless gun law has strike again. You're talking specifically of the gun law with the policeman pick with the bullet and thing. I mean, you know, I, I this is what I this is what I find interesting to me because these 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 people these law, these attorneys, you know, they are highly they're intelligent. They have to be to get a Jewish doctor, and yet and still they come back to their respective country, and this is all over the Caribbean, not just Belize. They come back to yeah. the, to the to their respective country, and they just like plug into it without even asking any. Questions regarding the you know the jurisprudence of you know with the laws that relates to the constitution. You I know? guess maybe that goes you know to like to not single them out again. That goes back to like it's, it's a cultural problem that we have that we need to convince or like people need to understand that you have the you have the not just the right but like the obligation to say something. If you see something that's wrong, you have the obligation you're obligated to say something about it. You're responsible to say something to make it better. If you see some you know things that are you know written or being done the way that you in a way that you disagree with, don't just mumble about it to your friends or don't just you know, tell you, you know, say something so that, you know, be proactive, make it, make a difference, make it change. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, so I, mm-hmm. I think, really, so what I'm saying is that with the lawyers, yeah, they see all these, you know, wrong things happening, but they don't feel that it's their, they're not obligated, they don't feel that, you know, they don't, they don't 
the, the need to say anything about it to make make a difference. Or maybe they think that they're, I, I hope that it's not that they think that their voices won't go anywhere, but the bottom line is that people need to feel more empowered or people need to start speaking up more. If you see something that needs to be changed, whether you're a lawyer, an engineer, whatever you happen to be, say something about it. Yes, yes. I I totally believe in that. You know, I mean, uh, uh, the Prophet Muhammad said, if you see something in your society, physically try to change it, you know, if, you know, you know, with your hands, effort, you know, physical means. If that doesn't work, then you know, you uh, you speak out right against it. You know, talk talk about it. And if that doesn't work, then you hate it in your heart because that is the weakest of faith. But um, we only have in less we have um less than three minutes, and I want to wrap this up with you, and I want to thank you for um, first of all for coming on and sitting with us for the past two hours. You know. I know you're in a beautiful belief. I know it's hard to title somebody on Saturday morning, you know, all the sun is out, you know, breeze to blow, you know. So, you know, but I really appreciate you coming on and um and um it was a very dynamic conversation that we had and you gave us uh, uh your your perspective, your outlook is is you know, is unique and it's you know it's right uh, it's right on, on task and I really appreciate it. But one last thing before we go. What do you want if there's a one thing well I hate to I hate to <laughs> Ty, you don't like that. Okay, so I'm not going to frame it like that, but what exactly is it that you would like to tell the viewers in the diaspora, particularly in less than a, less than 30 oh. seconds? Okay, well, for the, if it, that's an easier question, for the diaspora, again, just look for more people, initiatives happening in Belize and get engaged with them. And it could be as simple as, you know, it doesn't have to be money, send your advice, you know, give your expertise. But look for things that are happening independent of the political system and engage with those things and engage with those people because they need your support. Okay. All right. Well, you heard it there. That was Mrs. Uh, Samia Andrewin Miranda. And we want to thank her for coming on. And um, I want to thank you all for listening to, uh, to us on, you know, on, the, on my show. Um, we have, you know, it was a very dynamic show, very dynamic guest. I'm happy that um, I had an opportunity to have a conversation with her, and um, I hope that you've learned something uh, from every, every time we come on this show. You know, you, you go, you walk away with something and saying, "Gee, you know what? Um, this makes sense to me, or that doesn't make sense to me, or I'm enlightened by something that I heard by, from the guests." So um, I know I've, I was very enlightened by a lot of things that uh, Mrs. Uh, Miranda told us, and I'm very happy that she came on. I want to tell everybody to have a wonderful Saturday morning, wherever you are, East Coast, West Coast, London, Paris, you know, Belize. Um, please, as usual, I, I'll end it by saying, do the right thing.